The time is now. Volume 6, Episode 120. This is Employment Law Now. I am Mike Schmidt, your host of this podcast and the Vice Chair of Labor and Employment here at Cozen O'Connor. There are a few big trends over the past five to ten years that I like to talk about and that you've heard me talk about on this podcast to try to keep things in some big picture perspective. Like, for example, the fact that employment law continues to trend away from federal regulation as the primary source of employer-employee regulation and move toward more state and local regulation, which poses significant challenges to employers, especially on multi-jurisdictional corporations. Like, for example, the fact that we continue to see an eroding of the at-will rule with more and more restrictions on employers' rights to terminate employees. Well, another big trend that we continue to watch over the last several years, the challenge posed by the regulation and the initiatives of federal agencies that appear to change the rules and change the playbooks with shifting political winds. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that just what's supposed to happen and it is what it is? So right now, we're looking at another example of that. The Joint Employer and the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB. Why does this matter? Why does the Joint Employer test that's espoused by the NLRB matter so much? Well, it matters because it either restricts or expands those entities that can be sued for violations of the National Labor Relations Act or who could be forced to have to collectively bargain with employees based on whether the entity is deemed to be a joint employer or not. It matters for business models out there like the franchise or franchisee model or for those entities that utilize third-party services by contractual arrangement. Throughout the course of history essentially when we've been looking at how does the NLRB define when someone is a joint employer or not, it all has always come down to the right to control. If you have the right to control, so says the NLRB, you can be deemed to be a joint employer. The problem is that that in and of itself, the phrase right to control, is a term of art. And therein lies the problem that we continue to see. A little background on this shifting rule for those who have not been following closely over the past, oh, seven some odd years plus. The NLRB had for years required for its joint employer test proof of direct control between entities. It was not enough to have 
mere contractually reserved control or some literal, uh, limited or infrequent control. Ironically, for decades, this was based on a recognition that the National Labor Relations Act was designed to promote stability and predictability in bargaining relationships, at least how we were going to interpret the National Labor Relations Act. Then we move to 2015, when the Democratic-controlled NLRB issued its Browning-Ferris decision that expanded the scope of joint employment, thereby increasing the number of companies that could be found liable as joint employers. In that case, Browning-Ferris, the rule became that two or more entities could be considered joint employers simply by reserving the right to exercise control over certain aspects of the relationship between employees and another entity. You didn't have to necessarily have direct control or actually exercise control, but by reserving the right to do so, you could be considered a joint employer. Fast forward five years, when you now had the Republican-led NLRB in 2020, and in February 2020, that NLRB issued a new final rule that became effective on April 27, 2020, and again went the other way. Under that 2020 rule, a company would only be considered a joint employer if it exercises, in fact, substantial direct and immediate control over the essential terms and conditions of another entity's employees. Basically, that board rule in 2020 rejected and overturned the Browning-Ferris rule from five years earlier. Well, that stability and predictability lasted a little more than two years because just earlier this month, on September 6, 2022, the democratically controlled NLRB issued a notice that it's proposing a new rule again that would now overturn the February 2020 rule espoused by the Republican-led NLRB that limited the ability to consider an entity a joint employer and would now yet again broaden the definition of a joint employer. Interestingly, this democratically controlled NLRB now identifies the purpose of this new 2022 proposed rule as rectifying what it believes was the problem with the 2020 rule, which unnecessarily narrowed the common law and which undermined the goals of federal law. So apparently these goals of federal labor law do not include any longer the goals of promoting stability and predictability because we continue to change this rule. After decades, then after five years, now after a little bit more than two years. So under this new 2022 proposed rule by the NLRB, exercising indirect control is enough to deem an entity a joint employer even if the power to control is not actually exercised directly. In other words, exercising control through another or some intermediary person or entity is enough, perhaps, to consider you a joint employer. How does the proposed rule define the phrase, share or co-determine those matters governing employees' essential terms and conditions of employment? That's the issue here. Because under this proposed rule in 2022, you will be deemed a joint employer 
if you share or co-determine those matters governing employees' essential terms and conditions of employment. And the proposed rule defines that phrase rather expansively, rather broadly, so that it will include an employer who possesses the authority to control, whether directly, indirectly, or both, or exercises the power to control, whether directly, indirectly, or both, one or more of the employee's essential terms and conditions of employment. Also, as it had in the past, the 2022 board is proposing now to go back to finding joint employment merely because an entity has the authority to control essential terms and conditions, even if that authority is not actually exercised in a given case. So as long as it's reserved, it doesn't have to be actually exercised. As long as there is some indirect control, it doesn't have to be direct and immediate. The new proposed rule also seems to expand the types of issues for which control can be reserved to those that were not previously included by prior rule. Issues such as scheduling, workplace, health and safety, general work rules, and employee assignments Unlike the prior list of issues, which was an exhaustive list, even this new list in the proposed rule is deemed to be a non-exhaustive list, though we don't know what other work-related issues or factors would be considered. So where are we procedurally with this? Well, we're in the middle of a comment period right now. You can, as an organization, Submit comments to this new proposed joint employer rule on your own as an organization, or you can team up as we see very often and as we provide comments on behalf of industries and associations and organizations, you can do it as a group. But the initial comment period runs through November 7th, 2022, and then comments responding to the first phase of comments must be received by November 21st. 2022. A final rule at this point is likely to be issued by the NLRB in 2023. But even though that seems like uh, ways away, we, you know we're going to blink and it's going to be Thanksgiving, New Year, and then there we are in 2023. A few takeaways. Sure, the new proposed rule continues to follow generally this right to control test, but the million dollar question again is how is the board going to define the term right to control? And we now see in their new 2022 proposed rule that it's being interpreted rather expansively and rather broadly as it had done in previous iterations. It's a little bit murky, this new rule, with certainly less of a bright line is this about the NLRB getting things right, or are we shifting the pendulum too often in response to changing political environments? It makes it difficult for employers, even employees, to guide themselves, guide their behavior in a way that complies with existing law. It's difficult to do that when you constantly shift the goalposts. Also, don't lose sight of the fact, please, that this is just an NLRB rule solely for National Labor Relations Act purposes. 
There are a patchwork of other federal and state laws with their own joint employer tests and other standards to determine who is an employee and to determine who is an employer that's going to be subject to those particular laws and regulations. As always, you should be continuing to stay abreast of all of this and I will do my very best to keep you abreast of all of this as the comment period comes and goes and we see what the NLRB does with respect to a final rule, again, likely to come in 2023. Until that time, I hope all of your labor is productive.